part two of our Kentucky Derby Day preview show. Look, we I know we got so much great info and we have so many great guests that shared our time. I figured like I don't want to have to cut anybody's out or cut any part of any segments out. I figured what well, just give you a little bit extra this week on Oaks and Derby Week. So what we'll do on this episode, we've got race number eleven for Saturday, the Grade One Turf Classic with Andrew Champagne with Darren Zocali, and you know how we get we get a little bit verbose. We go back and forth, so we spend a ton of time talking about race number 11 for Saturday, and then we talk some Oaks and some Derby. So this will just be race number 11, and then Oaks and Derby final thoughts with myself, Andrew Champagne, and Darren Zocali. A little bonus action for you here on That's What She Said. Horse racing fans, many of us have been using the DRF, the daily racing form, for years, studying the races, keeping up to date on news with all the articles. I remember looking for a copy at the local liquor store or picking one up at the local racetrack, wherever I was going. Now it's even easier and cheaper than ever to use DRF with DRF.com and the newly optimized DRF mobile. You can get all the tracks that you want to bet and handicap past performances that are mobile optimized for on-the-go handicapping on your phone. So you go to drf.com from your mobile device, no additional cost. Tap the calendar icon on the top left. It opens all of the options for past performances and for the tools that are available. One click to bet now and DRF bets. Get real-time odds and scratches on race day. You can tap on any horse and you get those same DRF past performances that you're familiar with with a larger font for your mobile display. One click to formulator for charts, for replays if you get the formulator version, and even on the classic past performances, you get the home screen with horses, with odds, with buyers. You get a lifetime buyer speed figure graph. You can rotate your phone for the best view, and any horse that you click on, you'll see the running lines. You can easily move from horse to horse. The same data as those traditional classic DRF past performances. You get an interactive format, which is very similar to the DRF classic version that you're used to on the desktop. Every card includes live data updated instantly with those scratches. And so you get the accessibility from desktop to phone, cross-device functionality. You can take your notes and save them from one device to the next and then access your account on any of your devices. On-the-go handicapping and wagering, multiple formats to view. You got the overview page with recent speed figures, current day's odds, easy access to expert selections and analysis. You got the buyer speed figure graph with lifetime buyer speed figures and chart notes for every horse. And you got those traditional DRF pass performances that are just newly optimized for your mobile phones. They are constantly upgrading, improving, and making everything easier for you to get your handicapping done at DRF.com. Download the Stable Duel app and play today. We finish up the Saturday undercard graded stakes races at Churchill Downs. 
with Andrew Champagne, with Darren Zocali, with the boys from the old wrestling rewatch, two fellas that you've heard on this show probably as much or more as anyone uh, other than uh, than this guy right here talking. They're going to help uh, me talk about the Grade One Turf Classic, which goes as race number eleven on Saturday. DZ AC, we're recording this on uh, Tuesday night. You guys uh, finishing up with your uh, your preparations for the week? How's it going, Darren? Yeah, uh, busy. Uh, I got a lot going on. In addition to this, I'm doing the expert pick videos for Twin Spires for uh, Oakland and Belmont. So I got like seven cards to work on outside of the five cards at Churchill. Uh, so it's uh, I, I have not left my office today except to eat dinner. Uh, and we're recording this at uh, after nine o'clock Eastern time Tuesday night. And uh, I'm expecting more of the same tomorrow. And say, same, I'd imagine, for uh, Andrew Champagne. Uh, how are things going on your end, buddy? Yeah, uh, it's it's only 6 o'clock out here on the West Coast, but I need a nap. Uh, it has been a very <laughs> long day, uh, and the next couple of days are not going to be short ones. But you know what? I think I can speak for all three of us. This is the week we wait for all year. It's a lot of fun. The racing at Churchill Downs is going to be top-notch, and that obviously includes the races that we're going to talk about here. Uh, the past performances are already out. We're already diving in. As usual, some of the best racing that we'll see from beginning to the end of this year. It's going to be a lot of fun to go through. And remember, on these types of cards, you only need to be right once or twice in order to make a lot of money. We're going to get Darren and Andrew's thoughts on the Oaks and on the Derby after this in just a little bit. But we'll start with uh, the one race that we're going to uh, we're going to dive into, and that's the 11th race on Saturday's card. It's the Grade 1 Old Forester Bourbon Turf Classic. They will go a mile and an eighth. It's always one of the top-tier turf races for some of the best turf horses out there. DZ, I will, uh, I will say, and it, I'm not saying that this isn't, uh, there aren't any nice horses in here But this doesn't really feel like A grade one Deep grade one type race It feels more like a grade two type With some horses that can maybe step up into the, Against grade one company I just didn't think it was that deep That doesn't mean it's not contentious It just I didn't it didn't feel like that kind of quality From a betting standpoint it, It's a, a, a very fun betting race yeah, I think what's happened with with American turf racing in in recent years, maybe the last four or five years especially, is that a lot of the grade one uh, marathon or classic turf distance runners after the Breeders' Cup, they don't come back in time for this race. Uh, I, you know, they they take their time through the winter. You know, maybe now with the it's extension true. of like the Pegasus World Cup turf, where you know maybe they 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 point for that. And then this is the period of time where there's really not a ton on the calendar for them. And they take some time and they really focus towards the summer and fall with campaigns at, at tracks like, like Belmont and Saratoga, the Keeneland fall meet, et cetera. So I think this race gets a little bit lost in the shuffle um, just because of where it's positioned in, in, in terms of the calendar. Uh, I do think there are several very nice horses. I do think horses like Ivar, uh, our grade one caliber. I mean, Tribute Haven is is a grade one winner as well. But yeah, I mean, this used to be a race where you would get like you know Sandpit and Siphon and a Wise and, Dan. Yeah, Wise. You would get Wise Dan. You and I think just the way the calendar falls and and how these horses take some time off now, you just don't get the cream of the crop anymore uh, at this time of year anywhere in terms of long distance turf races. I also think that the distance of this race. Leaves yeah. it in a pretty weird spot 
yep. because if you cut it to a mile, you get the top milers in the country. Mm -hmm. If you lengthen it to a mile and a quarter or a mile and three eighths, you get some of those better marathoners. Maybe they bypass some of the races elsewhere in the summer and they start their campaigns here. This is a mile and an eighth. And in theory, maybe people thought, hey, we'll get the best of both worlds here. Well, Instead, and I feel like maybe about like five years beat. ago, you used to, right? There, there yeah. have been some ish, some installments of this where you have, but the last couple of years, it, it just kind little, of... I think Little Mike won this race the year he won the Breeders' Cup. Um, and I think they probably thought they were going to get set piece in this race, but he wasn't He wasn't great in his comeback, and he's running in a minor stakes, uh, the opening verse. I think he's carded to go on, I don't know if it's Wednesday or Thursday. So, uh, you know, that lost some firepower with him opting to the lesser stake as well. Yeah, I mean, it's just a case where the mile and an eighth distance means you get the B plus A minus horses and the horses that are on their way up. Now, mind you, I like this race a lot. I think there are some real prospects to keep it's a really good forward good at betting it, race. race. Yeah. But you look at the horses that have won this race just in the last 20 years, you get some of the better turf horses we have seen in the country. You get horses like Beat Hollow, who was a hell of a horse for Bobby sure. Frankel. Yep. You get English Channel. Einstein won it twice. You get Little Mike. You get Wise Dan twice. Even Divisadero and Yoshida. And then you've got Bricks and Mortar in 2019. It's just a case where... Well, you don't get Colonel Liam, you don't get set piece, you don't get a couple other horses that maybe could have run in here. Having said that, though, would you rather have those horses in here when they're going to be four to five, three no, to five, even money? Not at all. Or would Give me you this every day of the, the week field that we've got. It's an interesting quandary here. Every day of the week, I'll take the better betting race every day with a full field, no doubt about it. And that's what we've got here a field of 10. I think we have a three to one sort of lukewarm morning line favorite signed on here, which uh, DZ is, is Cheryl Spate. And, you know, she's super nice. It's, it's tough to really knock her form overall. She was a horse who she was pretty good early on, right off the bat. And we just didn't really know that she had that. Race in her she she was the one with the with the weird morning line right if I may jump in here really quick it's a he it's there's a, he, a lot a he. of there's I said a lot see, of I keep doing yet. this I keep there's doing a this, lot yeah. of Cheryl's out there and you know <laughs> what it's Charles Fifty's fault because he names all of these horses Cheryl and you don't know who's a cult you don't know who's a filly you don't know who's a horse you don't know who's a gelding Diamond Guy please for the love of God. Have some consideration for the people talking <laughs> Th about your horses. Thank you, and thank you guys for correcting there. So, DZ, she was the uh, or he, she, I can say it again. He was the one with the uh, with the the weird, bizarre morning line in that uh, that maker's mark. He ends up going off at nine to one, and he put now three wins together. So he stepped himself up. But his first two races were good. He won a Grade Three up on the synthetic at Woodbine, and then he went into the Grade One Woodbine Mile in his third start, and he was less than four to one in that race. So he's always had ability. And now he's really started to put it all together And whether or not you like him in this field He caught a really good race to be favored in this grade one That we're saying isn't all that strong Because he's coming off of a, a grade one win in the maker's mark at Keeneland Which is generally a pretty strong race And he makes a lot of sense with his recent form Being one of the top contenders in here Yeah, it's not too often uh, as well Where you get the offspring of a Breeders' Cup winning sire And a Breeders' Cup winning dam And that's what you have with him It's an interesting combination Spitestown, a Breeders' Cup sprint winner And the damn perfect Cheryl 
uh, won the Breeders' Cup Philly and Mare Turf about a decade ago, pulled off a monumental upset. Um, yeah, it, it just took him some time, I guess, to hit his best stride. Now, you have to wonder, he's only got nine starts going into, well, he had seven, eight starts going into his, actually, no, he had six starts going into his five-year-old season. He's now at nine. He's finally getting some racing consistently under his belt, and he's certainly hitting his best stride. Uh, he's coming off lifetime best speed figures across the board. Uh, 104 buyer, 123 time form, seven and a half ragazin figure. Everything lines up quite well for, for the horse. Um, you're just going to have to take a, a really short price on him in a very competitive field. And I think what you would admit, even though he's coming out of the grade one maker's mark, I think this field is better than what he faced there. I think um, so too. And, and, you know, stretching out to a mile and an eighth as well. And you don't think that's going to necessarily bother him, but this just doesn't feel like a spot where you want to just kind of chalk out here because I think no. it's an extremely well-balanced group. Yeah, I'd agree. Andrew, what do you think about uh, this horse who will be one of the top contenders in here? So as you guys know, my former podcast co-host is a big Woodbine guy. So I heard a lot about this horse in the summer of 2020. And then he was went away for a while after that racing Gulfstream in January of 2021. Comes back and Roger Atfield's got him going the right way or so it would appear on paper. My question to you guys, I rewatched the makers. This horse ran gigantic in that race. Any measure you want to judge a horse by, this horse ran huge. They hit the six furlong mark in 113 and one. They came home in 135 and four for the mile. That's a sub 23 last quarter of a mile. I think one of two things is true. Either Sheryl Spite is a freak and is going to crush this field, or he's going to bounce. Because just judging by how quickly that horse came home in a race that did not have a lot of early pace signed on, that was a really, really good effort. Can he replicate that in this spot going the extra furlong? There is pace signed on, and Luis Saez getting back aboard is obviously a plus for a trainer that's won a ton of races and is in the Hall of Fame. But do you want to take three to one on a horse where there is definite bounce potential? Uh, I could see this horse winning. I'll probably have a couple of pick four tickets with this horse on it as a saver. But for the most part, I think I'll be trying to beat him at his likely price. DZ Andrew was mentioning the pace, and it does look like this should be a pretty honest pace. You you have Busy Channel, who you'd imagine is going to want to be forwardly placed at least, and up in the top group. You know, Tribuvin is one of is going to want to go. So I'd imagine he's going to be right up close. You'd imagine Calvary Charge is going to want to go. Heck, he won a a Grade Three going gate to wire at a big price two starts back. So his best efforts have been when he's really close and right up. And then you've got Santin who. Is drawn way to the outside and he adds the blinkers. I wouldn't be shocked to see him a little bit more forwardly placed in here. Should be pretty honest. Would you would you expect to see the pace, you know, a nice one here? I think it's gonna be honest enough. Uh I, I don't think there's any type of crazy speed duel here. The one thing that I've learned watching these turf races, especially on big days, when you have the riders come in from all the elite circuits, nobody puts the pedal to the metal in turf races <laughs> ever. It, no. They just don't. I, I no. don't care what it looks like on paper. It just it just does not happen. And the, the riders really need to pay attention and they need to start to make it happen. Because if we remember what Shami Heffernan did in the Breeders' Cup turf that year, where he was just kind of trying to like look around and saying, what are all these riders doing? 
nobody is going. And he just, I forget the, the name of the horse, the brilliant uh, turf marathon runner that, that won that year. Um, but he just put the pedal to the metal and said, I, I think I have the best horse in the race. I'm going to open up 10 lengths on the backstretch and they're not going to catch me. And he was 100% correct. American turf riders just don't do it. They all just sit there and wait and wait and wait. And it's so hard to figure out the pace puzzle because you don't know who's going to go. You don't know who's going to hold. On paper, there's three or four horses that should be forwardly placed. So all I could determine from that is that the pace should be honest enough that it's at least a fairly run race. If I may chime in, Highland Real was the name. Highland of that Real, horse. thank you. And yeah. what a cool horse that was. That horse ran in England, ran in the United States, ran in Hong Kong, ran in Australia, ran everywhere. They do not make horses like that anymore. And I agree with Darren on a lot of that. The other thing that I will say is I think Flavian Pratt going east might have a field day if he starts getting on horses with speed because we know already he's probably the best turf rider in the country at this point. And maybe just ride, up, you know, you may not even have to say turf, right? You can just probably say rider. Sure. <laughs> so yeah. he, if he starts getting on horses with speed at Saratoga, that's going to make for a lot of fun for certain handicappers that focus on Saratoga almost exclusively from mid July through Labor Day. So you, uh, you talked a little bit about Pratt. We'll get to him in a second. You, you've you got, you know, we talked about the horse who's the morning line favorite. We talked about what the pace may look like. Now I'll mention uh, a horse who I, I like in this race, and that's the horse that Pratt's on, uh, Adamo, who yep. just just felt like at fairgrounds that was, and looking in this race, nobody here, as we've said, scares the heck out of me. There are some quality horses, but there's no one that's terrifying. And this horse has some quality from France before coming over here to the U.S. This horse was in legitimate group stakes races, was a group three winner going a mile and an eighth. In fact, his best races are going a mile and an eighth this distance. And the February 19th race at fairgrounds, that absolutely felt like it was a race that was, okay, this is probably one that they need and that will play this horse back. Calvary Charge was able to go gate to wire in that race. The top couple horses did not push each other exactly like what Darren was talking about on paper. It looked like there might've been three that wanted to go to the front. Well, no, the Calvary charge just kind of loped along and Adamo was about 15 lengths out of it. And he, he sort of got stopped as he's, he tried to move to the inside and he got stopped and then he had to wait. And then he angled around. He was in, I don't know, seven or eighth path, eight path in the stretch it wasn't the best ride in the world And um, and now you've got Pratt jumping aboard I like this horse quite a bit I, I think he'll probably get bet a little bit Just because there's nobody that's that That's all that exciting And he is kind of a new face that's exciting And if he is in the plus three to one range DZ I will like him quite a bit in this spot He'll need a little bit of help But like we've been talking about with Pratt I'm not I'm not convinced this horse needs to be dead last In fact, if you look at a lot of his races overseas He showed much more tactical, positional speed And, and some about a year, year and a half ago He was forwardly placed quite a bit I think he's going to be way closer early than he was in that last start So I like Adamo a little bit in here Tell us what you think of him And maybe uh, other horses that you like that you're looking to play Yeah, My only concern with Well, I have two concerns with him Number one is the trip and the pace scenario And you know what happens there. The second thing, you know, to, to your uh, the counterpoint to what you mentioned about uh, where he would be tactically in Europe, 
uh, European racing and American racing are completely different. Oh a, yeah. A horse, yeah. 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 A, a horse can make the lead in a European uh, turf race going a mile and five sixteenths uh, and be 14 lengths out of it in, the, in a U.S. Uh, turf stakes race. That's it's just completely different style. Um, there's definitely going to be some cut in the grass because, we, you know, we know that it's going to rain. It poured on Tuesday. They were off the turf Tuesday. I imagine uh, unless they can keep a stakes race on Wednesday, they're going to mostly be probably off the turf again on Wednesday. You're going to get at best, uh, a, a, I would almost probably say yielding turf course on Saturday. Uh, and this horse obviously has the most experience and, and successful experience in his in his history racing over soft ground. Uh, so I do think that's a benefit. My only concern is that the price with Chad Brown and Pratt on this newcomer who flew through the stretch at the fairgrounds, um, it, it might not it, it might not entice me that much. Um, the horse that I like, I, I like Santon. Um, third race back off the layoff, he he ran in the uh, same race that you like Adamo coming out of. He was wide, uh, was getting to the leaders as well, coming down to the finish. Uh, I know Adamo technically outfinished him by a neck, but I thought they both ran extremely well. Uh, and then this horse ran in the Muni's. And he ended up in a spot where I don't think he wanted to be. Um, two Emmys was the lone speed in the race. And he was in the spot where he had to kind of chase that horse through pedestrian pedestrian fractions. I don't think he wants to be that close. I know they're putting the blinkers on him. I don't think we're going to see nearly as much speed out of him here. I think he's going to sit mid-pack with Gaff Leone. And he might even be able to kind of fall in a trip that's in between the two trips that he's normally uh, that he's been getting. He's not going to be as close as he was in the Muni's. He's not going to be as far back as he was in the fairgrounds. And that could give him first run uh, on the, on the closers. And the one thing I do like about him, especially is that the figures are moving forward. But if you go back and watch his race in the Hollywood Derby, which is actually the best Ragazin figure he earned, he earned the six and three quarters. Um, that is actually the fastest Ragazin figure of anybody in the race. So if he can run back to that third race back off the layoff and work out a good trip, which I, I think he will get from here, I think he's dangerous, and I think he's going to escape at somewhere around 5-1. to one. Andrew Champagne, who uh, are you looking towards, or maybe a couple horses that you're looking to, to play? Uh, guys, we're going to need to have a meeting. Um, the purpose of these podcasts is so we can get three very good handicappers with wildly different opinions. <laughs> you guys have hit my exacta and I don't like it one bit. Um, Adamo is probably my top selection. I don't understand how in the daily racing form it shows as a race shape that was favored for closers. Because if you look at the fractions, you see six furlongs and 114 and a mile and 140. I don't understand how that's closer friendly. I don't make those notations. I, I'll tell you this it. on the, the time form us. Well, they agree with DRF because all of really? the, yeah, the, the speed figures in the middle, they're all in that bright red color, which means it's a fast pace. I don't get it either. Yeah. yeah it's funny. People it's making the figures are smarter than we are. I guess I, know, I, I was going to say very, yeah. very true. Especially with the likes of Craig Mulkowski, mm -hmm. one of the smartest guys in all the racing. But you look at those fractions and you look at it almost trip. He's not supposed to be anywhere close, especially coming off of the layoff he was coming off of. And instead, he does everything but win. Now, if you look at his numbers and his races overseas, you start seeing some horses that might sound familiar. If you look at the Prix Jockey Club in June of 2021, yeah. that race was won by a horse named St. Mark's Basilica. And all St. Mark's Basilica did 
in 2021 was when European Horse of the Year honors. Adamo was less than five lengths behind that one, was seventh of 19 that day, only missed second by three lengths. So and, and Sealaway, who was second, is a very nice horse, who I think ran in a Breeders' Cup race here. Yep. So these are good horses this one's been running against. It's not a case where you're getting a second or third stringer from Europe. This horse can freaking run. I think Adamo may well go off favored. You're not getting the nine to two morning line. Uh, if you think the morning lines are going to be accurate for Friday and Saturday, <laughs> we're going to really crush your hopes, dreams, and aspirations over the course of this interview. But Adamo is my top selection, and I've been a fan of Santon for a while. I was a big fan of the damn Sentiero Italia, who was a multiple graded stakes winner going long on the turf. She was a very, very classy runner that Kieran McLaughlin trained for a while in New York. Santon won the first two starts of the career, was 17 to one in the Hollywood Derby, did everything but win that day, then goes to the fairgrounds uh, way too far back to do any damage in the grade three fairgrounds. And then last time out, just sort of a one pace second behind a pretty darn good turf horse in two Emmys. Uh, The outside post, a little bit of a concern, and I'm wondering about the blinkers, but if you're looking for value, I think that's the horse to potentially hone in on. I do have a question with a horse that we've talked a little bit about to this point, but we haven't really dived in on yet. Chad Brown's got three in here. One of them is Tribuven, who we've talked about, again, in passing a little bit. Horse that won the United Nations last year at Monmouth Park in wire-to-wire fashion. Probably the controlling speed in here. My question is, when you look at the work tab, is it a red flag that this horse hasn't been working on turf? Um, it is a little weird. Yeah, he yeah. was working on turf. Well, he kind of went in and out of turf and dirt. If you pull up all the workouts, he was kind of mixed before. He hasn't had a turf workout since October. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I'm not sure. That's yeah. a good question. It, it's is- weird because Chad Brown isn't shy about working his turf horses no. on the turf. And he's not done that with this horse who hasn't run since November. If Tribuven gets loose on the lead through, say, 25 flat 50 and change, he probably wins if he's ready. But I'm looking at the work tab, and not only do I not see turf, I don't see anything beyond four furlongs. And this is a horse that wants to run all day. I'm I'm conflicted here. If he's right and gets the trip, he's going to be tough. But there's red flags in here, and maybe he's the longest priced of the three Chad Brown trained runners because of it. Mm. So from a price standpoint, uh, the horse who I, I would be willing to maybe throw into some exotics and at least be using underneath is a horse who seems to be progressing little by little, definitely on a, on a speed figure standpoint. That's Mira Mission. Uh, Mira Mission, I don't really have any issues with. I don't know if he's quite as good. As just some of the top tier horses in here He just lost to, to Cheryl Spate But this is a horse who's not It's not as if he was bad early on in his career He was just a little bit behind Public sector Who I, Every time I see public sector I, I guess it's just because that's my head I, I think pubic sector I see it and I just think with the way the public there I see the P-U-B I've got I a see. different public sector reflex every, And we'll talk a little bit more every about time, that Every time I'm thinking Pubic second. I look back. Oh no, yeah. I, I think I think he's a little bit of a of a of a uh, dressed up horse. By the way, I don't I don't think I don't think he's that. Like I'm not saying he's bad. I just when you talk about Chad Brown turf runners, I don't really think he's me that neither. Good. I think so he's a short. If, he's going to be shorter than what he should be in this race. Yeah. yeah, I would agree with that as well. And this is another horse coming in off of a very long layoff. Every time I see this horse run, though, 
I gravitate towards the far right in the DRF, and I see that 460 Turf Tomlinson number. Mm -hmm. It's the highest turf number I have ever seen. And I saw that before his debut at Saratoga. I posted about it, and someone made a point to go after me about it, saying, what are you doing using Tomlinson's? All I know is that horse made two to one look like a gift in his debut at Saratoga. (laughs) So I will always have fond memories of public sector. And that horse got pretty good last summer and fall winning three straight graded rate races. The problem is he's never tackled older company. And while there aren't any monsters in here asking that off of, of a horse coming off of a layoff of what, five, six months, it's yeah. a lot to ask. I totally agree. Yeah, I totally agree. And by the way, you're not going to get a much better Turf Tomlinson number than a pedigree that, that jumps off as king, a kingman out of a Montjou mare. <laughs> yes, this is, uh, this is one of those horses that Chad Brown picked out at the Tattersall sale a couple of years ago. So, uh, Ivar, just from a talking standpoint, I, I feel like every time <clears throat> I look at Ivar, he's coming off, of, off the bench. It feels like every time yeah. he races, like he just That's never very seems... typical for Paulo Lobo. And yeah, he scratched and... a couple of times too. Yeah. And and that's unfortunate because he does have ability and just like on a speed figure standpoint, he's been ultra consistent from like his second start in North America. I, I don't think he likes soft ground. I think he, if I remember correctly, I think he scratched mm-hmm. a couple of times when it rained. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we'll see what happens Saturday. Cause I think, I, I think the turf he's a firm. He wants the firm. I think he wants, yeah. Yeah. So he's, yeah, we'll see what the, the track and the turf condition plays like, but he's obviously worth the mention because he is the type of horse who, who's certainly good enough if ready. But oh, he's I, a class. I, he's a grade one horse. He's a class. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. They're, yeah. they're like, they're probably, there are a couple of grade one winners in here. And he's, he feels like he's probably like the most consistent that's knocked heads with top tier grade graded stakes horses i mean this horse he ran his eyeballs out in the breeders cup mile i mean you you know he got within a length and a half of space blues you put space blues in this field these three really really twice he did his his two years back he was really good in the breeders cup mile too remember he was he was the morning line favorite in the breeders cup mile Mm -hmm. and i remember everyone was going what (laughs) from from, guys 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 we need to pause interactive game Every time one of us mentions a morning line on this set, drink, 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 <laughs> drink, 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 shot, shot, shot. So uh, <laughs> we see I, I have our busy channel sort of just looks like a, a close up. We've talked Tribuvin. Tri- I mentioned Mira Mission, Shirtle Spate. Um, any, you know, Calvary Charge, Kentucky Ghost, Santon we've got on. Any Anything else worth mentioning in here, uh, DZ? You're, you're looking towards Santon. Um, I'm, I'm heading a little bit more towards Adamo, but I I think we're both sort of giving respect to Cheryl Spate, but if he in fact does go off as as the favorite in this race at like three to one or five to two or something, I'm I'm for sure looking at other horses to play, particularly on the win end. Yeah, the, the horse that I'll give you, I, I don't think he can win this race, but the horse that I'll give you that I would recommend using underneath is Kentucky Ghost. Um, Kentucky Ghost ran well off the layoff last year. Granted, he was running an allowance race. And that was kind of his coming out party uh, when he got situated for his four-year-old campaign. But this horse ran four races last year where he ran Ragazin figures in the single digits. And when you take a look at the rest of the field, public sector, for example, has never run a Ragazin figure less than a 10 and change. Uh, Ivar, who's a grade one horse, is the horse that runs the most uh, Ragazin figures in the single digits. But Public sector's never run better than 10 and three quarters. 
Mira Mission has run less than a 10 once. Cheryl Spite uh, finally ran less than a 10 in the most recent victory. Cavalry Chargers never run less than a 10. Kentucky goes there four times last year. He's a quality, uh, probably a grade two type animal. The question, of course, is the layoff, but he's been working right along for this. He had a couple of longer works at Payson Park, and he had a bullet workout on April the 21st. I think they've got the screws tightened up enough here. And um, it's worth mentioning that they did enter this horse Thursday uh, at Churchill Downs. I believe he's entered in the in the opening verse against set piece. Uh, I'm assuming he's scratching out of that and running here since they entered him here as well. Uh, and this race comes later. But uh, I don't know if he can win. But if he's going to be 20 to 1, I would absolutely include this horse underneath in your vertical exotics. Andrew, uh, give us some final thoughts on the Old Forester Bourbon Turf Class. Got to get all the the sponsors in there, right? Because they're they're paying me so much over at uh, at Churchill. Well, there you go. Um, I'm <laughs> going to get a little crazy um, with a with a horse underneath. Assuming Tribuvin is not ready, if you think that he needs a start, if the work tab is a red flag for you, whatever. Busy Channel horse number two in the program comes in second off the layoff. Last time out ran really well to win a classy big-time allowance race in Keeneland. That was a $138,000 purse that this horse got the winner's uh, share of. Yeah, Mr. Dumas past, is a serious horse who he beat, too. Mm-hmm. And if you look back last year, we talked a little bit about two Emmys who would probably be in the 5-1, to 6-1 to one range if he ran here, there thereabouts. Busy Channel beat that one twice including in the grade three Arlington over a good listed turf course. So a soft turf course isn't going to necessarily bother this one. He's got tactical speed. And if you look at last year's form cycle, he ran the best race of his career on a figure standpoint, at least from buyers second off the layoff ran a 99 buyer speed figure that day. If he steps forward like that off the 94, Mm -hmm. he ran last time out. I'm not saying he wins, but can he run second or third if a couple of the chalks misfire? Or, more likely, if nobody is aggressive and Gerardo Corrales says, oh, nobody's going for the lead? I've got enough speed. I'll go. Oh, he will do that, too. Mm -hmm. He's an aggressive rider. Yes. Could Mm -hmm. he absolutely run second or third at 30-1? to Sure. Sure. Those three races last year in a row that he threw in are all not that far off from most of these best figures and and probably what it would take to win this if a horse like Ivar didn't show up with his best effort most of these aren't even horses that are consistently again we're just using buyers as a scale right but if you're just looking at that most of these aren't triple digit buyer horses consistently no. so you know so busy channel is not that far off of being really competitive in this group and when you know that horses like Mr. Dumas that we mentioned and he's kept this type of company before another mystery to Emmys both real quality horses busy channel as a long shot possibility at least in the underneath spots for Andrew that is race number 11 on Saturday at Churchill Downs the old Forester so uh well I've got Andrew and Darren here of course we're gonna have to make them work a little bit more we're not gonna just talk about the one race <laughs> with them we gotta I mean come on I gotta gotta milk my buddies and take advantage of them here so let's get let's get some thoughts on the Oaks let's and maybe Derby. not use the term milk my buddies anymore <laughs> that somebody take the sound bite out of <laughs> I've got nipples fucker can you, can milk, you milk me, me? <laughs> that's a great one yeah that, you're that was, excited feel that, these nipples that was very well well spotted Andrew well sniffed out there that's a great one so DZ, let's uh let's go to Friday. Let's talk about the Oaks, which 
I mean, everybody's uh, been really raving about the, the quality of this field. What, whether or not you like all of the top horses, it's really cool to see all these nice fillies who have been really good and dominating their circuits and their prep races, and they come together where you have four or five real, real quality animals. Yeah, I, I think even more than that. I think there's a lot of talent in this race. I, I think, I look, the big the big four are getting all the attention, and, and I understand why. Um, but I think there's even more talent in this race than, than even beyond that. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to see all these fillies come together. Um, there's a lot of varying opinions about which one of the big four are the ones. Um, we'll talk, we'll get into the morning line of this race. Uh, I know Andrew is not too keen about it and neither am I. Um, but yeah, this is a, it's a fascinating race. It's going to be interesting from a pace standpoint. Um, and there are certain variables at play. Uh, and, and there's a horse that's from Dubai that's moved to the Todd Pletcher stable that throws a, a wrinkle into into things as well. Um, I'm really looking forward to this Kentucky Oaks probably more than I have in the last few years. It's a really good group. Uh, and it's not just top heavy. There are horses that are in that fifth, sixth, seventh choice spots that would be among the favorites talent wise in a lot of past renewals of the Kentucky Oaks. I think you can compare this one to the Kentucky Oaks of 2013 which featured Princess of Silmar, Beholder, Dreaming of Julia, and Close Hatches. I think mm-hmm. this big four may well wind up being as good as that big four turned out to be. This is going to be a lot of fun, and it's a tremendous betting race because if you really, really like one of the top, one of the big four, we'll call them, one of the big four, you're going to get a very bettable price compared to what they'll be moving forward against smaller fields that they'll likely lord over between now and the Breeders' Cup distaff, which has to be the end goal for a lot of these horses. It's a really, really cool race. Okay, so Secret Oath was installed at 6-1. to one. Nest is your 5-2 to two morning line favorite. Then Kathleen O is 7-2. to two. I would not be shocked if... I think Kathleen O will probably be a little bit higher than the other two, but I wouldn't be shocked if all three of those horses are actually really, really close. And, and I think and, and Echo Zulu, Zulu. Yeah. and Echo Zulu, like all. If you give me a, four horses that are seven to two, I, I would not even be. Well, I, all I that think I, I think that's the part of it that had me scratching my head is is the gap. Uh, I don't totally know agree. how I don't know how Why? you could say Secret Oath is almost three times the price's nest. Um, and, and and that's just that's just my my perspective because look coming out of the honeybee the secret oath was we hadn't seen echo zulu run yet secret oath at that point in time was the presumptive favorite for the kentucky oaks with many people saying that she might be better than all of the males we've seen so far she goes into the arkansas derby she goes off the 7 to 5 post time favorite in a grade one race, the final Kentucky Derby prep against males, she doesn't exactly run bad. She had a r- lousy trip, a questionable ride. She got stopped on, shuffled back to last, circled up wide, made a huge move on the far turn, got into contention, and then finished a uh, flattening out third in the last 16th of a mile. No problem. Uh, so she comes out of that race and goes back in against Phillies. In what dimension? Does that horse get made six to one? I, Nest, I just, I don't understand it. Andrew Nest isn't even a horse that has, and and let me say this. I actually like Nest. I, it, I like Nest she, too. 
She yeah. is going to be on my tickets in this race. So that's that that's a, a, a moo point, as Joey Tribbiani would say. The count, the sound that a count makes. She can't you know? be a third the price. No, of Secret she she doesn't even have some overwhelming speed figures. She doesn't. No. She has a her her last race. She won the Ashland with a ninety two. She crushed. She won by open lengths. But the two times that Secret Oath won very easily, she earned a ninety two. And a 93 similar buyer speed figures I could understand if Nest had Thrown up a 98 or close to 100 buyer and, and had this monster race on speed figures too But that that's not even the case, Andrew No, and before we go much further I should say this And I know I'm probably steering, stealing some of Darren's thunder on this But for those who need the reminder The purpose of a morning line is not And I want to stress this fact It is not an indication of who the morning line favorite thinks will win the race. It is an indication of th- which the morning line the odds morning maker. Line. Yes, I, th- I think you were you were saying that. I think you said the morning who the morning line favorite thinks yeah, is going to win the race. I don't know what the sure. horse thinks, but maybe my, my mistake. Yeah. My, my mistake. No, yeah, dude, no, no it, it's not the horse that the morning line maker thinks will win the race. It's the horse that the morning line man thinks will take the most money. Now we can try to move on from that because I think we've all stumbled over our words over the last 20 minutes here. What with trying to change Cheryl Spates, uh, and gender and yeah, that's why um, we're here to, that's why we have a, a team to all help each yeah. other out. When, yeah, when which we, by like, the way, if, if, if you think Nest is going to go off favored, I have no problem with that. That's fine. Okay. My, my standpoint is Three to one, seven to two. Three, exactly. I, yeah. yeah. I mean, th- this this race should be three to one, seven to two, seven to two, four to one. Three to one, seven to two, yeah. four to one, nine to two. Not exactly. five to two to six to one. Yes. I think if you're going to make Nest the favorite, which may very well happen, I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised if any of these four horses were favored. I think you make Nest three to one. I think you make Secret Oath nine to two. And if the gripe is, oh, Secret Oath should have been the second or third choice, whatever, it Maybe that winds up happening, but either way, Secret Oath is more than double the price. That's not going to happen. There's a couple other horses in here. I think Hidden Connection is going to come down a little bit. I think for sure you're going to see some wise guy money on Shahama coming down from 15 to 1. The people that like Shahama really like Shahama. But it's uh, it's a case where, again, whatever horse you like, you're going to get as good a price as you're ever going to get. On those horses moving forward. And it's a case where I, in particular, am very excited about this race from both a handicapping perspective and from a podcast perspective because we got this one right. I don't like Nest at all. Nice. Really? Nice. Yeah. Wow. I I am not a believer in the field that she thumped in the Ashland. I am not a believer in the field that she thumped in the Suncoast even though that day's third place finisher is the all-time hunch bet to end all hunch bets blame the champagne. And I don't like Venti Valentine, so why should I like the Demoiselle three back? Oh, wow. If so Nest- there you go. Well, now now you and I are on completely opposite ends of the spectrum. Good. I th- there we go. Think- now we're cooking. Now yeah, we're cooking. I think, I, th- I think Nest is absolutely the horse to beat, and I think Venti Valentine is a long shot to use. All right, okay. cool. I'm liking this very, very much. No, let me for, in all, go in ahead on Venti Valentine yeah. and uh, and talk a little Nest and Venti Valentine. DC. Yeah, so I mean, ne- listen, Nest. If you go back and you watch her debut, you could tell she's a good filly. She she sat the easiest trip in racing, dominated. 
Um, she's put on a lot of size and muscle since then. She's physically thriving. Her workouts look tremendous. I thought in the Ashland, she was widest on both turns after having a, a little bit of an awkward beginning in which she bumped with the horse to her outside. She has an explosive turn of foot to her. Um, if she's getting up to win these races by a length or two, I get it. She destroyed these two fields. I mean, the rest of the, the rest of the horses are nowhere. And and if she runs the race in the Ashland, in the Oaks, I don't think you could beat her. I, I think I think she's that talented. And Venti Valentine. So here's here's my argument for her. And I I really think that she is a viable long shot because if you go back, number one, her debut, she won entirely on 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 talent. She came from an impossible spot where she was racing far back and wide and and ran down a four to five favorite. Uh, she ran Ness to a head loss in December. We just touched upon that. Now, I understand she got beat by Nostalgic, who, by the way, I think is a very nice filly and has a chance to hit the board here as well. But she had made the lead in the Gazelle. She's not going to be on the lead here. I don't think she wants to be on the lead. She's drawn the outside of the two main speeds, Echo Zulu and Ujiri, who are both going out. I think she's going to sit a great trip. Just sit like third or fourth right off the speed, which is where she wants to be. And I think she's going to move forward off that last race, which I think is going to be a nice speed tightener for her. Uh, I don't know if she could win the race. I think Venti Valentine has a huge chance to hit the exact in the trifecta. And I'd imagine that Andrew probably doesn't like the horse that I think has got a little bit of a, a price shot. I'm absolutely going to have some pick fours and pick fives with nostalgic on them. Oh, yeah. In the win, in the win I end. Yeah. I think she has a lot of ability. I, I, you know, you can put a line through her turf race. You can put a line and look at the Demoiselle. She's behind Nest, Venti, Valentine, Magic Circle, who all come out of that race to win. She did not run all that poorly. And it was, you know, her second start. She was off for a few months after that. They showed back up in February. They come back. They run on the turf. That doesn't work out. So then they find a spot that's a softer spot. She was 5-2 to two at Gulfstream Park. She sits a nice trip. She wins. She crushes. It's one of those confidence-building wins. And then she steps up. She goes in the gazelle. She faces Venti Valentine. I don't have any concern about her getting the distance and running. I think based on her breeding, she's probably really starting to figure things out now and take steps forward. If she took one big step forward in here, just one more progression on her speed figures, like we're talking about, none of these fillies, they're they're really nice, but nobody has hundred triple digit buyers or anything like that. If she took one more step forward and she's like in the low nineties and, and right there. She can save some ground from the inside. I think Nostalgic's got a little bit of a shot in here. Um, I have one. My one concern for her is that I'm concerned that she's going to be farther back than she was in the last two. And she has been because they're not. Yeah. mm -hmm. If she gets a more Demoiselle type trip, I think that caps her upside. But like I said, if I like Venti Valentine, I have to I have to include Nostalgic. Um, I I also I also want to mention two other things. Um. I think Ujiri is an excellent racehorse. I don't think she has any chance of winning this race at a mile and an eighth. I know Andrew likes to do his forecasting the races, you know, three months down the line. Uh, if you can give me a, a price now on Ujiri and the test stakes, I will absolutely take it. I think she is a seven furlong sprinter, and I think she is a grade one talent sprinter. A little acorn uh, you, action, maybe even. Yeah, yeah. And you and you mentioned um, Shahama. Um Look, she's the complete wild card of the field. She passes everything on the eye test. Um, I mean, if you if you go back and watch her races in Dubai, it's almost stupid how the jockey is literally standing up on this filly 
as they hit the top of the stretch. And she's like literally pulling him to the front. And then he'll like just chirp to her for like a couple of little like throw a cross at her, give her a couple of little pumps, and she's gone in an instant. Now, I have no idea what she's beating there. I don't know how it compares to what she has to face here. Um, but I will tell you this. She is noticeably outworking Goddess of Fire, who's also in this race, noticeably. Whether you listen to Mike Welch or whether you watch it yourself, um, she's got a lot of talent. And I don't know if, if a Philly can come in from Dubai and win off a two-and-a-half-month layoff. I, I do think this Philly's got a big race on her name with her name on it at some point. Andrew, I don't know how you feel about her, but I, I think she's she is a tremendous talent that's very a very interesting addition to this race. Shahama could either win by three or lose by 30. And I would not be surprised. Yeah. Um, that's what we're dealing with here. Total unknown. Uh, figures wise from a time form standpoint, not strong. But that's not the point with her. The point with her is how she's doing it. If you like her, you're going to get a price. And if you're right, you're never going to get that kind of price again. <laughs> and speaking of not getting the price again. Gentlemen, if I would have told you that the runaway, hands-down, best horse of last year's two-year-old Philly crop was going to be 4-1 to one in the Kentucky Oaks six months after winning the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies by five and a quarter, you would have told me I was crazy, right? Yeah, yeah. That's, that's what happens when you only have one start in preparation for this race, and from just about every speed figure that you can come up with, it was her slowest race to date. And visually, um, it was the least impressive also, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, if you, if you objectively watch that race, who ran the better race, her or Hidden Connection? So hidden. Here's, my, yeah. here's my thing there. You'll look at the running line, ears pricked. This horse was running around, waiting on horses. She, everything about Echo Zulu in that race says, I need this race. This is not the goal. Oh, there's the wire. I'm going to stick my head down because I'm just that classy. She is going to improve by leaps and bounds in the Kentucky Oaks. And I say that because I see the Steve Asmussen all systems go workout pattern. I love this angle. I love when Asmussen does it. And I will always talk it up when I see it. With Asmussen, the work two back is the one you want to consider. The work two back for Echo Zulu saw her go six furlongs in 111 and four and earn the bullet. After that, I want to see a maintenance work. Four furlongs in 50 and four. That's the maintenance work. Check the box and move on. We're talking about buyers a lot here. The buyer speed figures for this horse, a horse that is bred to get better as she gets older. As a two-year-old, 92, 90, 90, 94. She steps forward from the fairgrounds Oaks and runs something close to a hundred buyer speed figure. I don't think they're beating her. I think Echo Zulu looms very, very large in this particular race. And look, if the fairgrounds Oaks turned you off, I would understand that. But it just became abundantly clear going into the race and after the race, she needed that effort and was going to be much, much better for it. I don't think it's a case of a two-year-old not moving forward. I think it's a three-year-old that needed that race with an eye on another race moving forward. This is that race. And if you're telling me that Nest off of one big race is going to be favored over Echo Zulu 
who ran four big races last year from a figure standpoint, all because Echo Zulu ran like a horse that needed a race when she was coming off of a layoff of nearly five months. Okay, I will gladly take Echo Zulu at her likely price on many of my tickets. She's going to be a single. Yeah, I I think, you know, the way that this race shapes up with those four horses that are likely going to be pretty close in price, if you're playing ex- exotics, pick fours, pick fives, you're probably not going to be using the approach where you have those four. M- maybe, maybe you do. I, I'm not. And you're probably going to have, I don't, I don't like Kathleen O at all. And that's what I was going to say. So, so yeah, there's going to have that, to be yeah. a, an approach for most of you out there that are listening where you're going to say, okay, out of these four horses, do I like one of them a lot? Do I like two of them? Am I going to use, am I going to use three of the four and toss one out? But I, I'd imagine you're probably not just going to go A, B, C, D. Unless you love another horse somewhere in a sequence And you just want to make sure you feel really confident About getting through this race For me, I think the two that I will Of those four that I'm going to gravitate more towards Are going to be Secret Oath and Nest I think those will be the two that I lean heaviest on in here I don't really like Kathleen O I'm not completely against Echo Zulu Like I'm not as cold on that particular race as everyone else I just don't, I don't like it overall when horses do regress And, and I, it's funny because I'm really not very much of like a speed figure Handicapper but I've mentioned speed figures so many times Throughout our conversation it's just, it's just funny But I they they are good from a reference standpoint When you're talking about horses just to kind of Use as, as measuring sticks of what they've done And I don't like it When they come back even if they're visually Not as great when their their figures Are just a little bit less I I'm just I would rank Her third of those four me personally Of the big four and I, I will definitely use nostalgic and some others along with uh, with secret host and and, and, net, and nest. So for me, DZ, it'll probably be the bulk of those three. If if Echo Zulu wins and I have connected o- along the way through, I'm gonna still probably hit this this thing in a pick four or pick five. But Echo Zulu won't be like a press situation for me. How are you looking at attacking the Oaks? Uh, nest is my A. Um, I then my B line is probably gonna be. Uh, uh, Secret Oath, Echo Zulu, Venti Valentine. I'm completely against Kathleen O. Uh, I need one of those four to win. Nest would be the best case scenario. Um, and my exotics to, to spice up, I'm probably going to you know use the eight quite a bit exclusively to try to get some added value. But uh, the vertical exotics will really just come down to what the odds board looks like and what the probables look like. Um, I, I do think Nest is, is the horse to beat, but that's, uh, you know... I, I, if Kathleen O wins, it's it's a complete disaster for me because I think I think the Gulfstream Park Oaks was a terrible race. Um, you know, her and Goddess of Fire were one two. Goddess of Fire is okay. Everything else in that race is not a stakes horse. Uh, so I'm against the two Florida horses. Uh, I, I I'm pretty confident I'm going to come out of this race. I, 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 assuming I'm I'm you know I'm going to come out of this race in good shape because I think I have a good opinion. The only thing that can happen is Kathleen O wins the race or ever runs well. And I and I really don't think she's going to. Uh, but if Echo Zulu wins, I, I'm not I'm not dead set against her. I just would have liked to have seen her at least run as fast or close to as fast as she was running mm-hmm. in the Fairgrounds Oaks. I thought it was a noticeably slower race. Okay, Andrew, uh, give us some of your final thoughts on the Oaks. Echo Zulu. That's my final thought. Love it. Uh, I I hear you, Darren. I absolutely hear you. 
but it's also not like it was a considerable drop-off on buyers. She ran an 88 that day. If she's back to her old two-year-old self, she might win. I think she's sitting on a lifetime best effort here, judging by the work pattern. And if you look at the works at Churchill, it sure looks like Asmussen really turned the screws on her, not just in the work two back, but the works three and four back too. A couple of really strong five furlong moves. Everything about this horse screams that the last race was not the goal with this particular runner. Give me Echo Zulu. I understand the pace is probably going to be a little bit quick, but if you go off the debut, I don't think she needs the lead in order to run well. I think she can sit second, third, or fourth, maybe a half length length off the leader. And I think she may very well just have enough tactical speed and talent to put herself in a really, really good spot beneath Joel Rosario. Give me Yeko Zulu at anything close to that four to one morning line price. That is in the Oaks on Friday. Let's jump into the Derby and talk a little Derby with DZ and Andrew. So we move to Saturday, race number 12 at Churchill, May the 7th. We know the field. We know the morning line. Darren, we have Zandin and Epicenter that have been installed as your top two. Epicenter drew down towards the inside a little bit more. So you think maybe that's the reason why they ended up going uh, the other way and, and putting Zandin as the favorite here? Yeah, I mean, once I saw the draw come out where Epicenter got three and, and Zandin got ten, and Bataglia is always a little bit more partial to the Bluegrass winner than anything else coming out and coming into the Derby. Um, so that didn't surprise me. I, I just don't think these horses should be this low. Uh, I, I don't, I don't see any reason that there needed to be a three to one morning line favorite in this Kentucky Derby. I, I think, I think four to one and nine to two, or even nine to two, five to one, four to one, five to one would have been just fine. Um, so th- that was my takeaway. I don't think either of these horses are going off three to one personally. Um, everything that I, I no. yeah, all of the buzz, everything that you're hearing from handicappers, uh, it does seem like everything is trending towards Zandon now uh, and not, not in terms of winning, but in terms of the betting um, now mattress Mac can do away with that. If he decides to walk up to the window and bet $5 million on epicenter, um, you know, that would change everything. But yeah, I, I, I think Zandon, if all things are equal is probably a slight favorite, but I think he's going to be like a, you know, $4 and 60 cent favorite and, and uh, epicenter is going to be like a $4 and 90 cent second choice, something to that effect. Yeah, um, I think Epicenter is going to go off favored here. But look, the public likes flashy closers. You're getting a flashy closer here. And Darren mentioned the Mattress Mac factor. What he does is going to determine the rest of the pool. It's just a fact. We'll see what happens going into Kentucky Derby Day and where he decides to put his money down. But uh, personally, I thought Epicenter was going to be favored. I was a little surprised that he wasn't. The other thing with this morning line, everybody drink. Um, Santa Anita Derby, Taiba beats Messier. Taiba is 12 to 1. Messier is 8 to 1. Yeah, it makes what? sense. Yeah, Taiba's third choice. Taiba, no, I have no doubt in my mind that Taiba's going off the third choice in this. Yeah, race. that certainly seems that way. If you flip the 8 to 1 and 12 to 1 with those horses, yeah. I have much less of a problem with that morning line. The other issue that both Darren and I had. We understand you don't want to tick anybody in racing off. Racing is not a sport that is known for having people with very thick skin. Make 50 to one shots, 50 to one on the morning line, please. I don't know well, why you well, would care. Why, why would yeah. you care 
Why, I, why I do you ever care if you're what the odds are your horse are because they're going to run the race if they if they're good and you think they're live and they run well doesn't that matter more than what they were installed at or what well, they were I, go I, I don't I don't get it I, I I don't I don't understand that because like, I I understand you don't want to tick anybody off okay I understand that a morning line should not tick anybody off. Okay, why? I, I mean, why would you take I, it personally? I mean, You're an owner. Why would you? I, would you listen, take it personally? No, no. I, I, listen, I, I, I see both sides. I, I, I was the. I understand what Andrew's saying, though. That's that's yeah. a that is a thing, right? It I'm is, not disagreeing no, with Andrew. No, no, this, no that's it is why it doesn't happen for sure. It is a thing. I've I've dealt with it. When I made the morning line at the Meadowlands, granted, it's not the Kentucky Derby, but every year I made the morning line for the Hambletonian, and the Hambletonian is the most renowned, uh, trotting race in the world, and at one of the press conferences one year. Uh, trainer Greg Peck, not the actor, the trainer, uh, had a horse who had no chance. Who was coming out of what would be the ascent would be the equivalent of a horse coming out of a non-winners of uh, one other than allowance at Parks going into the Kentucky Derby. Um, and I made the horse fifty to one. And Greg came up to me after the press conference and basically cited the fact that he trained Muscle Hill, who won the Hamiltonian a few years earlier. And he would not enter a horse who's going to be 50 to one in the Hamiltonian. And I said, with all due respect, Greg, you're wrong. The horse is going to be every bit of 50 to one. The horse went off at 68 to one. Okay. So I don't understand why people care. And I'll take it a step further. I'll take from the owner's side of it. I, I we, We've entered horses, threat level midnight and stakes races at Keeneland, where she's been 50 to one on the morning line. It doesn't bother me. And it shouldn't bother me because I'm realistic. And on top of it, if you have a horse in the Kentucky Derby, okay, if you are lucky enough and fortunate enough and blessed enough to have a horse in the Kentucky Derby where you get to take part in all of the pageantry of the week and all of the lead up and you get to take part in the walkover alongside your horse and you get to stand in that paddock and watch your trainer put a saddle on your horse that says Kentucky Derby and you get to experience something as an owner that far few people in this world get to experience You're and you are pissed off and you God. are bothered <laughs> by a number on a piece of paper if if, if all of that gets taken away from your enjoyment I, I don't know personally i would think you'd be more bothered by the millions of people betting on the race that make your horse 57 to 1 as opposed to one guy's opinion who puts a number on a piece of paper i don't understand it I don't understand why people get upset about it. I don't, and and on top of which, going back to what Andrew said before, a morning line odds maker, it, it is a thankless job. Yep. Okay, nobody ever says that guy did a great job on the You're a referee. Line. You're an official. Never. We yes. only know they, when you mess up and when you they screw only up. know when you mess up. A hundred percent. It is a thankless job. And the job is to make a morning line that most accurately reflects what the betting public is going to do, not what the owners are going to feel like, not what that particular person likes in the race, what you think the betting public is going to do. That's the job. Nobody should tell the morning line odds maker to do it differently. If a racetrack out there anywhere in the country is instructing the odds maker not to make a horse a certain price, I'm not saying that happened here. I'm just speaking in general terms not to make a horse a certain price as to not offend people. That's an absurd request because you're basically telling the odds maker not to do the job you hired him to do. It's very simple. Guy looks at the race, 
comes up with what he thinks the odds are going to be. They go on the paper. That's it. It's a talking point. It sounds nice. He's the morning line favorite in the Kentucky Derby, and you move on. I mean, all of this is just, it, it has gotten so insane. And by the way, the odds, Mike Battaglia has made many horses 50 to 1 in the morning line in years past. I, I mean, we've seen what it time and time again. Of that, uh, what was the title of that uh, B movie with Mind That Bird and Calvin Burrell? 50 to 1. Yeah, he was 50 to 1. Exactly. And, and I mean, listen. And by the way, from a mathematical standpoint, and not to get too technical about this, when you make a morning line, every set of odds uh, has a point value assigned to it. And those points have to add up to a certain number in order to have an accurate line. You can't just arbitrarily make every horse in the race six to one. It's mathematically impossible. So when you when you adjust odds on certain horses, you are impacting the potential odds of other horses, just like mm -hmm. you do when you bet. So if you don't make horses in a 20 horse field 50 to one that are going to be 50 to one, if you make them 20 to one and 30 to one, then the horses that you're making at 12 to one and 15 to one, who maybe should have been eight to one, you're not making them the right price either. And when you have a 20 horse field and you have 14 of the 20 horses at 20 to one or 30 to one, 14 of the 20, I don't even understand the point of the morning line. Like, what is it telling you? All these horses have an identical chance to win. There are two horses. You can't, um, you can't tell me like happy Jack. You, you can't tell me this is a horse who was 30 to one in his last two starts in the San Anita Derby and in the, in the San Felipe. He was 26 and 20, 26 to one in both of them. Yep. And you, you're, you're telling me he's not going to be, he's going to be the same exact price in here where he was well defeated. He was the last horse that got in. He just barely a, got in. Ethereal Maybe Road can, being the other one. Yeah. You know, in the, exactly. Ethereal Road being the and other summer one. Summer is tomorrow. Summer so. is tomorrow. Yeah. Right. Though, there should, it doesn't have to be a bunch, but those, those three horses should be 50 to one. They should be. And, and or really, horses really, that really, back really their way here. in. Andrew, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, just really quickly, if anyone out there is curious as to the schematics behind the morning line, on my Twitter, you'll see, A, my attempt at a Kentucky Derby morning line, which will almost certainly be wrong in some form or fashion, along with a link to an article that was written several years ago that explains how a morning line is put together and what point totals correspond to which sets of odds. By all means, Personally, I think anybody that bashes a morning line should have to make a morning line for those races just to get a sense. Because, look, this is not an easy job. We all know plenty of morning line makers in the industry, and it is thankless work. Nobody is around when some morning line maker pegs a three to one favorite and that horse goes off as the three to one favorite. If that happens, a morning line maker has done an absolutely bang up job. And there are a bunch of excellent, excellent. Morning line makers. Brad Thomas, David Aragona. That, yep. Yep. They go weeks without getting a single compliment on Twitter, and that's multiple forms of wrong. But the second they put a horse in yep. as the seven to two favorite, and that horse goes off at nine to one. Yep. You suck. You yeah. suck. Well, Guys, even worse even worse than that, that, they'll they'll people will actually on Twitter will will start to say that something nefarious is going on, which is stuff that I've dealt with as an odds maker as well, where I, I can't even begin to explain making like when I did the morning line for the Hamiltonian, I sat down and said, there's one person who gets to put odds on the horses for this historic race. That's been run nearly a hundred times. You take it. It's, it's a, it's a take, respect thing. Yeah. You take you pride, pride in it. In it. Absolutely. And, and, and every odds maker that I know, whether it be Mike Battaglia, whether it be Brad Thomas, whether it be David Aragona and so on and so forth, they take pride 
in making an accurate morning line. We get upset when we get it wrong. Believe me, we look back and scratch our heads and try to figure out what it is that we missed. Every I, morning, I'm telling you, I sat up there when I went to Sam Houston with Nick Tamro, and I was in there. He's calling the races now. He makes the morning lines, and he's in there. And I was up in his booth just visiting him for a minute and watching a race or two when he was up there calling it. And and as they're going in the gate, and then right after, he's looking back, and after he calls the race, like all of us, he goes, damn it, I missed that. You know, there, he was something about the call that he was upset with, and then he looked down at the odds, and he was like, man, I made that horse this, and I should have made that horse that. And it's just, it was so funny to me, the, you know, the, because the we're, worst, all, the worst we're all feeling, the same thing. The worst feeling is, like, when you get to a race, and I've had this happen a few times in big races, uh, Meadowlands pace. I remember one in particular, Hamiltonian Oaks, and other in particular, where you know, based on like a trip that a horse got in his last race or her last race before, that a horse is going to get wildly overbet. And you're looking at the race and you're going, like, everything about this horse, the horse should be 12 to 1, 15 to 1, but you know, the horse is going to get hammered and go off at like 9 to 2. But you can't possibly make the horse 9 to 2. Because you've got like an undefeated two-year-old champion in the race that's going to be the three to five favorite. You just not, yeah. Yeah. I mean, like that stuff happens all the time. And I don't listen, when you take a look at this morning line in the Kentucky Derby, there's not a lot wrong with it. The two horses that are going to go off favorite are the right two horses. You flip Tyba and, and Messier, and, and those would be correct. And everybody else is for the most part from that point on is 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 right. Mo Donegal 12 to 1, White Abario 12 to 1. The problem is, is that it's the general notion, not this particular, not these particular odds, the general notion that an odds maker can't make a horse 50 to one without offending an owner. I'll tell you right now, you can make me 7,000 to one in a Kentucky Derby. If you got me in that walkover, I don't care what price you put. I, next to my I'm horse. cool. I listen, I don't. I, it's one thing to, to analyze a race and put in print or say on TV, this horse doesn't belong in the race. You shouldn't do that. You should have enough respect for owners and trainers who are competing and entering their horses that you shouldn't say that. You could say you don't like a horse. You can never, you shouldn't say that a horse doesn't belong in the race. But an odds maker absolutely has every right to place the odds that he feels are appropriate assigned to each horse. Not high enough in this particular race. Andrew, let's start with you. Give us, uh, you, you had, I, I'll give you credit again. You had a very good Kentucky Derby last year. And I've already put in the petition to take the money back from you. You're going to have to send back <laughs> the, uh, the tickets that you cashed last year because of uh, <laughs> all joking aside. Tell us a little bit about uh, how you're looking at the Derby this year. You can take that money from me like the people who wanted to take <laughs> Charlton Heston's guns from my cold, dead hands. Uh, anyway, I've been high on Epicenter for quite a while. Uh, you'll look back. This horse has done next to nothing wrong. Since stretching out to two turns, he did everything but win the Lacombe when he set some pretty fast fractions, and he developed from there. His win in the Risen Star was very good. He made the lead and got the lead fairly easily, but it's not like he was walking in that particular race, and he came home pretty fast that day. They took him back in the Louisiana Derby to teach him something. He took dirt in his face, he tipped out, and he surged home at the top of the lane. He went from a length and a half back to what seemed like a length and a half ahead in about three or four strides. It was a defined whoosh motion. And you know it when you see it. That was a 102 buyer speed figure. This horse is bred exceptionally well, has run exceptionally well, 
I don't think the post is a problem because the two horses inside of him have zero early speed. And if Epicenter is able to get out of the gate, I think he's going to have the tactical speed to carry himself to the right spot going into that first turn. Now, the other horse that I'll mention as my A horse is Messier. I am thinking a little bit radically here. And Gino, we talked about this on a prior show. I don't think the Santa Anita Derby was the goal for this horse. I think the goal was beat Forbidden Kingdom, get to second, get into the Kentucky Derby starting gate. They did. This horse ran second behind Taba, but was up far closer to a pace that was very fast, off of a little bit of a freshening. He was off two months prior to that race, and in that time, he went from the Bob Baffert barn to the barn of Tim Yachtin. We can talk more about that switch at another time, but I think Messier is going to be sitting on a much improved effort, going a distance he is bred to love by Empire Maker, who's a Belmont winner, out of a smart strike mare, and smart strike is one of the top stamina influences in the breeding game the last 20 to 25 years. By the way, if John Velasquez wins this race aboard Messier, he can claim to have hit the wire first in three straight renewals of the Kentucky Derby. That has never happened. I looked that up. It would be a first. I think Messier's got a big, big shot. There are a couple of B horses in this race that I like as well. Andrew, you... real quick, while you're talking about Messier, uh, just say, save that for one second because we'll get to your B. Sure, sure, Because sure. you were kind of hitting on a point that I don't think I'd heard mentioned a lot, and then you were sort of uh, kind of circling around it. You know, he was in a real holding pattern at the time because what was going on with Baffert? They didn't yep. really know they, they didn't know what to do because they were waiting to see if the Baffert horses were going to be able to run and get the points or not. So they had to sort of pick a spot and they had to wait as long as possible. One of the last preps was the Santa Anita Derby. We find out not long before that that the Baffert horses are Baffert's going to be suspended. He's not going to be allowed to run. They're going to have to transfer horses over. And so he you, you are right. It just he was Maybe a little bit short Not only was that not the the end all be all Because obviously the derby is They needed to get some points But he he was kind of having to do that Because of what was going on with all the Baffert stuff Now uh, yep. continue on and get to some of your B's Sure So I'll use both the winner and the runner up From the bluegrass Zandon certainly has the talent to win this race I think he needs a lot to go right And at his likely price I can't use him as one of my primary top picks if you're a closer in a 20-horse race, you need pace, you need racing luck, you need a lot more things to go right than a horse with a lot of tactical speed does. And it's not that I don't think Zandon can win. I just think anything close to that 3-1 to one morning line price would be a little bit of an underlay. And even 5-1 to one or 6-1, to one, I'd probably need a little bit more. Now, Smile Happy, I think, has the potential to improve off of the bluegrass. He was wide throughout. He was pressing the pace. On a day where early speed was not doing well at Keeneland, that track played kindly to closers, and Smile Happy still ran pretty darn well. He was about four lengths clear of that day's third-place finisher, Emmanuel, who has some talent. Smile Happy goes third off the bench. This race has been the goal all along, and we know he likes Churchill Downs because of that win in the Kentucky Jockey Club. The other B horse that I've got is Charge It. Of all the horses in the Florida Derby, this is the one that I want. That was his first start going two turns, and he ran in spurts. This is a horse that needed that race for experience, and he still darn near won the thing. I don't like White Abario at all. They walked home in that particular race. 
I want a horse from that race that is going to move forward off of that race, not necessarily stay the same or go backward, given his pedigree, given the way that he's been training, and given the price that I'm still likely to get, charge it'll be on a couple of my tickets as well. Three and six on top, five, eight, and ten in sort of the underneath spots. I would like Mo Donegal a lot more if not for the rail draw. And by the way, I think he wins the Belmont. <laughs> DZ. Okay, we got another. We always get the early calls from uh, from Andrew. DZ, take us through how you're seeing the Derby. I actually think Charger might win the Belmont. Um, yeah, I, I I I haven't exactly completely locked in on on how I'm playing it, but I I agree with with Andrew on Messier. Uh, I, I like him a lot, uh, which is hard for me to say because I typically try to beat these California horses. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, you know, his Robert Lewis was sensational, um, speed figure wise. I test everything like that. I agree with everything. The Santa Anita Derby not being the goal, uh, freshened up for that. Should be tighter. Should be fitter. Working extremely well. The interesting thing for me is that uh, I love Messier, and and if you ask me which horse do you think is going to run last, I would say Taiba. I I I, re- I really would. Uh, and the reason why I say that is because look, he's only got two lifetime starts. A horse is going to win the Derby with two lifetime starts. I'm not going to have him on my tickets. But beyond that, after his maiden win, the horse went on the vets list. Then he runs in the Santa Anita Derby. He benefits from from the pace scenario going on in front of him. He looked very good doing it. He's obviously a very talented horse. But they paid $1.7 million for this horse in March of 2021 as a two-year-old in training. He doesn't get to the track for a year. And if you go through his history, the horse is working, working. They start on him, stop on him, start on him, stop on him. Then he debuts. Then he goes on the vets list. Then he wins the Santa Anita Derby. Now he has one workout, one work since the Santa Anita Derby. And it wasn't a good work. No, I I think there's things going on here. Uh, I don't think this is the soundest horse in the world for the reasons that I just said. No, no. when When you factor all that in together with a horse coming into the Derby off two lifetime starts. Uh, I do like Messier. I know this horse beat him last time. Call me crazy. But for all the reasons that I said, uh, I don't like Taiba. Um, interesting note. Uh, Andrew said the horse that he wants as the uh, Florida Derby is charge it. I like simplification a little bit. Um, simplification's race in the Holy Bull was very good. Came from far back, rallied well. Um, his race in the fountain of the youth was spectacular where he made a wide aggressive move coming to the quarter pole. I know there was an incident at the quarter pole with a couple of horses. Uh, I don't think it changed the outcome of the race. He was moving up willingly five wide, six wide under a a hold gearing up. He was going to blow by that field regardless. Then in the Florida Derby, uh, he broke so sharp that he ended up closer to the pace than he wanted to be. And when uh, classic causeway, stopped suddenly on the backstretch, he kind of inherited the lead, which is not where he wants to be. And as soon as he inherited the lead, even though it doesn't show it on the chart, he did lead between points of call. He immediately faced pressure from Papa Cap. And and now was a horse that was on the lead for the last nearly five furlongs or half a mile of the race, where he's got a horse on top of him, which is not the running style that I think he wants either. He always shows up with a good race. Is he good enough to win this? Probably not. But I think he's an honest horse that's still going to race well. And I think of the 20 to one shots, 
he's the one that you want to have. Um, look, Epicenter, I, I, I don't love the draw. I, I don't love the fact that all the speed's to the outside of him. I think if you would have switched him and Messier, I would like Epicenter more than Messier. I think Messier sits in the clear on the outside, and Epicenter is going to be in him behind horses, much like he was in the Louisiana Derby. But, you know, it's a little bit different going a mile and a quarter when you're surrounded by 20. Um, Mo Donegal is a horse that, you know, I'll use underneath because he needs to work out a trip. Same thing for Zandon. You know, in some combinations, probably without Epicenter, I'll include him on some tickets. Um, and then the other horses that I'll use at prices, uh, I will use Smile Happy because I think he's too talented to be left off the tickets. Well, yeah, I think I think so. If Smile Happy wins the Bluegrass, yeah, he's five to one in here. Probably eight. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. He probably he's is probably five the to one. Yeah. I mean, he was, yeah. Right. I mean, I, yeah. he's in the conversation with you know with the with the, the shorter prices under ten, you know, and yep. and top three or so. So. Yep. He shouldn't be that high. That's that's the problem, too high. The problem is, I mean, with the exception of him being wide on the turn, he really didn't have much excuse. No, um, you know, Zandon blew past him, but maybe he's know, got a little more positional speed than Zandon, right? Yeah. Maybe he can just kind of sit a few lengths ahead of him. And if I, yeah, I think he has to be. I think he has to. You're, you're doing yourself a disservice if you don't include him. Um, and then, and then from there, I think things really kind of thin out. Um, before I, I'll let Gino, I'll let you give your picks, and then we'll. We'll touch on a couple of the hot topics of specific horses. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna still include everywhere, even with the rail Mo Donegal. I probably won't play as much win money on him as I, I would have, and I probably won't have a ticket or two where I like I'll always try to have a ticket where I'll single a horse and then play a ticket where I'll have like all in a pick four with a couple singles leading into it. You know, I'll do some fun stuff leading into the derby. I probably won't do as much stuff with Mo Donegal on top, but if you were gonna tell me that there were three or four horses in here who drew the rail. I, I wouldn't have picked it for Mo Donegal, but I don't think it's quite as bad as it would have been for a lot of other horses. He's going to end up in the same place regardless, right? He's <laughs> going to he's going to be saving ground. Hole, he would take back to seventeenth anyway. Yeah, I think he's going to be inside. And if in and that like what you were saying right there, the key for horses like him and Zandon, and hopefully because he gets the ground saving trip inside, can he be like twelfth? Instead of you know 15th to 20th Can he be 10th to 15th Right and not have to go through 15 horses Can he just be a little bit more Forwardly placed not close Up at all but just in front of a couple Others because of the rail draw On the inside I'm hoping so I'm not going to let the rail Completely deter me from using him because he's Going to be a better price now a lot of people are Going to do that he's not going to take as much Money and Darren I remember when when he won the wood, you and I were very impressed and said this horse is is super yeah, live. He just, he just keeps coming. He just keeps yeah. coming. Yeah, he yeah. really does. And and yeah. so if he, I, and which is I why Andrew likes him in the Belmont. In the Belmont, yeah. You betcha. I, <laughs> I don't think he's as. I don't get the feeling he's as like slow grindy. I feel like he's getting a little bit better with a turn of foot and and maybe. You know, we'll, we'll see. I think I'll, I'll be I mean, rewarded he has, here. He has a turn of foot. This is not, he's not Drosselmeyer. No, you know, no. No, he's not. Yeah. No. You mentioned Smile Happy. He'll be on uh, a lot. Messier will be, he, he's starting to move into more of my exotics there. Charge it will be under. But for me, it'll probably be a lot of Mo Donegal, a, a good amount of Zandin. And the one I'm, I'm warming up like more and more to, I, I think, is uh, who, who you were talking a little bit about. 
DZ simplification in underneath spots too I don't know if he can win But if you told me at the top of the stretch This horse is in the top three or four I, I would not be shocked at all And he'll try really really hard I, I like what he had to deal with In the Holy Bull Because well, he's, he, had to, he's had to deal with th- with a lot in three races Absolutely <laughs> yeah, Completely lot. different types of trips yep. He's yep. had to overcome trouble already at the start Which is something that a lot of these horses will have to deal with And I, I like going into the Derby The foundation that he has That might catch up with him in a race or two You know, I probably wouldn't want to play a horse like this Back in the Preakness and then again in the Belmont Because he's already run in all of those Florida preps But he's got a really nice foundation Coming into the Derby with the Mucho Macho Man The Holy Bull, then the Fountain of Youth Then the Florida Derby Where he ran pretty well in all of them Even with completely different type trips So He'll be in the mix for me in, in a lot of spots, but yeah, the horse who you know, I, I'm hoping that Mo Donegal is able to to work out a trip from there. I'm probably a little colder with the draw on Epicenter. I don't really have any major knocks on him. I just don't know if he gets forced a little bit from down there. He liked to be able to get nice and cozy and sit on the outside last time out. I wonder if he gets shuffled a little bit if he's not within like two lengths early. Is it going to be different for him? Is the complexion going to change for a horse who's been well, always with, within a couple lengths? Here, here's the thing that I wanted to bring up, and, and it's a, and it's a good tie into what you're talking about. So, for the first time since the point system has been implemented, there is a sprinter with speed in the race that people are not really noticing. Summer is tomorrow is going to the front, and, and he's yeah, right next door to Epicenter. Yeah. To the he's, outside but, of Epicenter. But he's not, you know, this is not like Thunder Snow or Mendelssohn where you're like, oh, is he going to get out of the gate? This horse rockets out of the gate. You know, I understand you want to say, oh, it's different overseas. No, no. This horse is a sprinter that rockets out of the gate. The fact he finally went a mile and three sixteenths last time and his speed carried him to a second place finish. This horse sprints. That's what he does. He makes the lead going six furlongs. He sprints. Um, and for the first time in, in a decade, we have one of those. This horse is the UAE version of a Trippy or a Trinneberg. We have a horse like that in the Kentucky Derby again for the first time in 10 years. Nobody seems to be realizing it. Um, and with that, if this horse goes out and starts to backpedal at the half mile pole, Epicenter might end up coming through an opening and inheriting the lead, you know, at the early point of the far turn. It'll be fascinating to see how the pace develops. but. I really don't think people realize just how quick summer is tomorrow actually is. And, you know, when people are trying to figure out the pace scenario and is Epicenter going to try to go to the front? Is Messier going to try to get the lead? Barring this horse going to his knees out of the gate, mark my words, under the wire first time, summer is tomorrow is going to be easily on the front. Easily. DZ, tell us uh, again some of the stuff that you've got coming up this week as far as content. Uh, oh, you don't want to talk about Crown Pride? Oh yeah, we I mean me- we got to mention him. We got it. We got to mention. We go- because I gotta, no, no, the two of the two of you. No, you're right. Because the two of you wanted to mention this, and and we've seen a ton of success over the last year for the Japanese bred horses when they've gone on to the world stage. So uh, the two of you can both you know t- talk a little bit about. What we'd like to see in the coming years for maybe is it Crown Pride here, but how cool would it be, Andrew, for a Japanese bred horse to win the Derby one of these years and to maybe kind of kick the uh, the American U.S. breeding in the butt? 
Well, that's what I was going to say. And I'll lead into Darren's point on this, but uh, much as we are curious about crown pride, the prospect of crown pride or a Japanese bred horse winning the Kentucky Derby scares the daylights out of a lot of powerful people. And with that, I yield the floor to one Darren Zocali. Yeah. Um, listen, the United States thoroughbred breeding industry has been breeding for speed and precocity for a very long time. They want to make... And don't forget brilliance, whatever the hell Brilliance, that is. yeah. They want to breed the fastest to the fastest and produce a fast horse that runs fast early that they could sell as a two-year-old in training or pin hook, get through the sales, resell in another sale, and then produce the same horses over and over again. And what you're getting is faster and faster horses that are getting quick early that are not nearly as durable. They're not as sustainable. They certainly don't have the stamina to deal with the classics. And part of the reason that we've had two triple crown winners in the last seven years is because the American thoroughbred crop as a whole has deteriorated. And I'm not taking anything away from American Pharaoh or Justify. They're very good horses. But does American Pharaoh or Justify win a Triple Crown in 1995? I don't think so. I think I, Pharaoh does. I don't think Justify does. Okay, fair. Um, I think I think the breed has changed. I think that it's changed for the worse. And the counter to that is that Japan has invested in the exact opposite. They have invested in breeding to the future. They have invested in breeding into more durable horses that are going to get better the more they race, and they're going to get better as the races get longer. And we've kind of seen this growing and developing in recent years. And then they came over to the Breeders' Cup, and Love's Only You wins on the turf. And you could say, well, okay, yeah, she won on the grass. You know, she beat us. That's fine. She's a brilliant filly. That could happen. Then you get the monstrous upset in the distaff. And if you want to chalk that one up to a fluky race where they went a wild uh, speed duel up front and she outperformed Dunbar uh, Road down the stretch. Oh, okay. Then they go to Saudi Arabia and they dominate. Then they go to Dubai and they dominate. If they come to the Kentucky Derby with this horse, which on the top line is the Sunday Silence family, on the bottom line is the Seattle Slough family. And this horse comes into the Kentucky Derby from Japan by way of Dubai and ever wins this race, there is going to be panic like you can't believe through the American thoroughbred industry. Um, There's going to be a lot of money coming in for yep. people who all of a sudden realize, oh yep. my gosh, we can do this. It can be yep. done. It can be done. Yeah. And and I listen, I don't know if this is the horse to do it. Um, I... It's so hard to get a read on on these horses, but the one thing I will I will say that people I don't think are are, are looking at people have said uh, horses from Dubai are never going to win the Kentucky Derby. Okay, this is not a horse from Dubai. This is not a horse that has been training in Dubai against makeshift allowance horses for the last four months running in races where we have no idea how they would stack up yes. on the dirt uh, in yeah. comparison right because in this internationally in the grass they can all stack up but in the dirt very few could keep up with the north american speed horses and the american speed horses yes Th this is a horse who is japanese who won his first two races easily going nine furlongs as a two-year-old and by the way the line had no excuse in the hyacinth stakes. Yeah, 
Watch the start of that race and tell me the horse had no excuse. The horse got completely destroyed coming out of the starting gate. It's hilarious. Yeah, hilarious. You could very easily have a horse that's four for four coming into this race. Now, again, he's not a great dirt. He's not a great gate horse. He won the UAE Derby racing on the wrong lead. And it's still a monumental ask. But this is not Karul, China Visit, Express Tour type horse that's coming into this off three, you know, three or four lifetime starts having raced only in, in Dubai. This is a horse that's bred to run all day. And if you don't know that, watch his workouts because they work him. And then the horse just keeps galloping for another mile. It's insane. Um, maybe this is the Belmont winner. I don't know. I don't know if he's good enough. That remains to be seen. But and, and am I, is he going to be on top of my tickets? No. But the the fan in me who wants to see it would be American, very good for it racing. Would be, it would be. And I'm not and I'm not trying to be insulting or I, I'm not trying to inc- like upset anybody. But no, it would be very good for American thoroughbred racing if this horse comes here and wins this race where people need to get together and regroup and begin to question what they are doing with breeding these horses, because it will be a massive reality check to the American thoroughbred industry. You thought we were going to go an hour and a half without some sort of a wrestling reference here or there. It remind me, it would remind me of the Monday night wars with WWF, right? When, when, you know, you're sort of the, you're, you're used to doing it one way for so long and then you don't really start running the fastest until somebody's chasing you right until someone's right there and we saw that some of the best stuff that wwf ever did was when they had legitimate competition and they had no choice they had to look around and go if we don't start making some changes right now we're going to be in some serious trouble and 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 by by the way by the way other japanese horses have not run badly in the kentucky derby no master fencer did not run badly in the Kentucky Derby. Lonnie, Lonnie wasn't bad either. Lonnie he was wasn't bad case, either. But he wasn't yep. terrible. Well, Lonnie wasn't bad either. And he didn't run badly in, in the Belmont Stakes. Casino Drive is a horse that everybody pretty much up to, even today say if the horse didn't have a quarter crack was going to win that Belmont Stakes. Sunday Break, who was a Japanese horse 20 years ago, didn't run bad in the Belmont Stakes. This has been percolating for a while now. And everybody will tell you who knows anything about Japanese racing, this horse is better than Lonnie and this horse is better than Master Fencer. And I think Lonnie ran, what, fifth? And Master Fencer ran like sixth? Again, it remains to be seen if it can happen, but the fan in me hopes it does because it will it will send a massive reality check to the breeders. Andrew, anything else you want to uh, finish up here before we get out? Uh, I don't think I can top what Darren just put out there. I mean, the only thing that I'll say is whatever your opinion is, get involved because there are tremendous betting races on Thursday, on Friday, on Saturday, three outstanding days of racing at Churchill Downs. I will have stuff up pretty much everywhere. Uh, main point of operations for a lot of that is going to be my Twitter at Andrew Champagne. You can also take a look at playfected.com, which is Katina Media's official horse racing website. I'll have some betting strategies up there. I'll have some analysis up there. I'll be doing videos. I'll be doing podcasts. And on Sunday, I will sleep. <laughs> Andrew, buddy, thanks so much. And good luck to you, DZ. We will be following uh, along with you again. And you, uh, you mentioned earlier, you'll be doing... All sorts of Derby Oak stuff and then uh, even more, right? Oak Lawn and, yeah. uh, and New York stuff on top of that. 
Yeah, I I, my, I did my horse by horse breakdown of the Oaks. That's already up. I put the link to it uh, on Twitter. I'll be doing the same thing and posting it for the Derby uh, by uh, by tomorrow night. Uh, Twinspires.com. I'm putting out uh, bet back selections. We have a, a Twinspires has an unbelievable promotion by the way this week. Every single race at Churchill Downs this week, uh, we're giving you a money back second and third. So if your horse runs second or third and you make a win bet, wow. uh, we're giving you the money back cool. every single race at Churchill Downs. Uh, this week and hey i gave out a 24 dollar winner within that promotion today and so, a boy there we go so way to get to the a, ball yeah, getting, rolling you want to get a great start yep. that momentum built up it's a massive week very lucky to have good, good friends darren zocali and andrew champagne always helping us out here i have a lot of fun chatting races with you fellas I have a lot of fun chatting everything with you fellas thanks so much and make sure to give them a follow for all their great content coming up this week AC, good luck to you. DZ, good luck to you and uh, everyone. Thanks so much for uh, for hanging out with us here. I'll, I'll have some more closing thoughts on the card following this, and uh, hopefully you all have an awesome, awesome Kentucky Derby weekend. But don't go anywhere. There's still plenty more on this episode of That's What G Said. So after it's all said and done, you've you've kind of heard me chiming in throughout most of uh, of the conversations. And when it comes down to the Derby, I'm going with Mo Donegal. The rail doesn't really bother me at all with him. I, I'll be using Mo Donegal. I'll be using Zandin everywhere. I really think the presence of Summer is tomorrow, who has legitimate sprint speed. I think he's going to make things go really quick and, and put a couple horses in bad spots that, that they think they're going to be up in, in cozy spots. I'm not quite as high on Epicenter. I will be including Smile Happy in a lot of my exotics. I'll be throwing Charge It into some Crown Pride maybe at the bottom. And then what do I do with the Santa Anita horses with both Taiba and with with um, Messier? They'll probably be in the mix in some pick fours, pick fives. Simplification is another one that I may make a case for in some underneath spots. But a lot of Mo Donegal, a lot of Zandin towards the top for me. Best of luck to everyone in the big weekend. But don't worry, folks. We have still a lot more to come. If you want some help with Friday racing from Santa Anita, we've got you covered there. If you want some help for Saturday racing from Santa Anita and Louisiana Downs, we've got you covered there. Sunday, Louisiana Downs. We've also got you covered for there, too, if you need some help on that one. And uh, NBA, we've got with Eric. We've got This Week in Wrestling with Chad Cooper, all on the next episode of That's What G Said podcast. And I'll be hanging out this weekend at Louis, um, on the Louisiana Downs broadcast a little bit, not at Louisiana Downs. I'll be here in Southern California, but I'll be joining them to help handicap the races and I'll be popping in throughout the meet over at LAD. Good luck, everyone, this weekend, the Big Oaks Derby weekend. Hope you all have a very successful one and thanks to all the guests who helped out. Really, really appreciate it on the uh, the Saturday shows. We are very lucky to have Angela Herman, Jessica Paquette, Ren Carruthers, Sarah Obadwi, Chris Larmy, Craig Milkowski, Andrew Champagne, and Darren Zocali. Hope we led you in the right direction. 